welcome to Waiting for Review, a show about iOS development and the Apple ecosystem. From Wellington, New Zealand, I'm Dave Wood, and joining me from Devon, England, is Dave Knott. Because yesterday I actually put a little bit of time in on um, on some Robohead stuff before we went out. And yeah? Yeah, I've, I've, bumped, I've bumped an update for AirSynth. Uh, which is really, really minor. I've just added a couple of um, couple of extra colours that you can choose from to sort of um, customise the app. Um, that was a nice and easy sort of like, I can do that in 10 minutes kind of thing. Because um, it's all, it's just a, a list of, um, of like, structs um, that get iterated on um, that sort of define like the different colours. So I just added a couple more given names uh in fact the majority of the work to be honest was um just updating a couple of things in the uh the screenshot script that i had uh because it's been a few months and the the latest version of xcode i'd I'd lost a couple of the simulators that i had before um so i went to run my screenshots and that all fell over (laughs) (laughs) um add the new um add some of the uh, simulators back and add a couple of the new ones um, into the script and then it was literally just run it and it went. So that was cool. Um, And that's now waiting for review. Hey! Yay! (laughs) our name. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And it actually, it went from um, it went from uh, waiting to in review inside of five minutes which was quite impressive. Somebody must have just yoinked it out of the queue. Um, but it's now been in review for like probably a good 19 hours. Wow. Uh, yeah. So hopefully somebody comes back to their, their desk the next day and just kicks it straight out. I think that's probably what's going on. <laughs> oh yeah, I suppose if they just like go home and they never finished what they were. Yeah, I, th- yeah. I think that might be the case. It's funny, you never think of it in those... Or I don't, anyway. I never think of it in those terms. I just think of it as this kind of box of magic where app goes in, then app comes back out. But you, you don't actually think about... Like, there's humans looking at your app. Yeah. Um, I'd yeah. love to just work there for a little bit and just see what it's all about. What can they actually look for as, 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 a, as an app reviewer? I guess they must have a lot of kind of software that helps them, like that quickly scans the app to get any obvious yeah. stuff. I think um, that's probably the case, to sort of scan for, like, private APIs and that kind of thing. And, and then as a reviewer, you've then got to just sort of sense check it. I think so. I sort of get the impression that's that's pretty much how it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I really don't know beyond that. I mean, I know from with the... Um, with my VJ app that's got the um, the external screen where you know your, your video output goes to i don't think they were able to test that um and actually with the vj app one of the first things that happened is that it when i first launched it is it got rejected and then they asked for um a video showing the app in use and what they were actually after is they wanted a video in real life showing somebody using the app and then the external output also in view yeah uh, which I think, you know, that, that sort of leads me to, to only assuming that um, they can't actually test the external screen. Yeah, I had the same with ARMchair, actually. Right. 
they sent a request for a video because actually in order to use the app you have to connect it to a, a, an installation of Kodi and, and they're, yep. not, they're not going to do that are they <laughs> they got like no. Yeah, they're not going to spend time doing that. So yeah, I um, just uploaded some videos and left it in a Dropbox folder. And yeah, but every time I updated the app after that, um, I never updated the videos. So I don't know whether they were just constantly looking at my version 1.0 videos, even when I was shipping version 3.0 and just never thought to update the videos. And they were like, yep, fine every time. That's funny. I mean, I think to be honest, there's... I would imagine they keep notes against your file as well. And it may well be that, that it's, um, you know, that, that that video was checked once and it's just never been looked at again. Yeah. You know, in that in that respect, and there's probably a note to that effect, like, you know, from, from your first review. I'm assuming an awful lot, though. I've sort of built up this impression in my head of how it might work and, you know, it could actually be completely different. I mean, something obviously had to change from when they went from like a week potentially in review to when it was a day. Like if it goes a day now, we're like, well, this is taking ages. Whereas before yeah. a day would be like, wow, it's a day. How fast is that? So I, I would like to know kind of what what the diff is on like what it was versus what it is now. Because like surely they couldn't just throw more people at it just to achieve like one day turnarounds versus almost a week. Like something systematic must have had to have changed yeah because your individual review is is the bit that's really tightened up um so i i would assume that they've kind of codified how how a review is done um and that perhaps beforehand it was a little bit more freewheeling or there was some variance between different um parts of the team possibly maybe maybe there's that sort of thing to sort of tweak and, and sort out yeah. Uh, also, though, uh, I imagine the NDA is incredibly strong because we just get no real glimpse into uh, into any of these inner workings. Yeah, I'm surprised about that. You'd think someone would have leaked something by now that was a, had a bit more meat to it. I guess semi, um, semi-related. semi I've got an Apple developer account again. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> long last. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> the other day I needed one. I really needed to test on my device and I was like, all right, I'm just going to pay the 80 quid or whatever it is and, and do it. Um, yeah. I, don't, I don't know why I've been holding out so long, but it's kind of like, well, if I don't actually need it, there's no point paying and then have the clock start ticking for when you need to pay again. No. So. No, and, and that's what happened to me when I first started learning, actually, is that I'd had a developer account f- for a year. I'd learned a bit and then I was kind of like, I was on my way, but I could have actually skipped out that first year's worth, you know, because I didn't actually have an app until sometime in the second year of having a developer account. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess in the scheme of things, it's not a huge amount of money, but it still is, well, for me, it's £79. It's, that's not nothing, is it? No. Um, I suppose if you pitch it against sort of tuition fees and things like that that are classed as an investment in yourself and I guess you could almost say that well me getting this Apple developer account is an investment in myself therefore it's nothing is it compared to like a year's tuition or or some other such fee that I'd have to pay for some other interest or endeavour I was doing so yeah I mean it's not a vast amount of money Um, it's just me being stingy basically trying to hold out for (laughs) until the (laughs) the final moment until I actually needed to, 
to use it because now I'm going to start using CloudKit. Um, I mean, obviously you have to have it for CloudKit, but yep. until when was it? Wednesday this week I got it. Um, yeah, I mean, I could just build and run in Xcode in the simulators. That, that was that was fine because I'm just like basically scaffolding up UIs in, in Swift UI, which is still enjoyable. <laughs> Blimey. Yeah. That doesn't 100% sound like you're enjoying it. That sounds... <laughs> Well, I, I don't know. Like, I enjoy the challenge, but then I wonder if, like, I actually need to just be like, you know what? It's time to crack on now. We need to do this in UI kit to get this done. Okay. Um. Yeah, it's just silly things again. Again, like we, I, I forget we spoke about some of it last week. Um, one of the things is that I had a, a list with a load of list items and I didn't want the little you know like you get the little arrow on the right hand side of a table view to indicate there's more Um, I didn't want those to appear and they appear by default the minute you wrap a navigation link around a list item yep Um, again naively I thought there'd be a you know show arrow parameter true or false but no there isn't um no. So the way around it, well, one su- suggested way around it is to do a, a Z stack and yeah. have your list item in one layer of the Z stack. And then in another layer of the Z stack, you have a navigation link with an empty view. Oh, no. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. That was what was giving me the whole issue of you tap the item once, it works, go back, tap yeah. it again, it doesn't work. Right. It also doesn't work. Obviously, on device now, I can see a bit more. If you swipe and you start the swipe on a certain cell, that then is now off limits just because you've swiped on it. Okay. Hmm. So that's that's not the greatest at all. That that feels like that's it's a proper yeah. hack, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, the current situation is live with the arrow, but then kind of my whole design is like my cells are like. So the whole view has got a background color, and then each cell is has got padding around it. So kind of white cell on a slightly grayish background. Um, but then the arrow appears outside of the cell that I've drawn to the right of it, and it just looks awful. So I guess I might just have to let go of that design and just go back to like standard table view design. Yeah, potentially. I'm just just trying to think this through. So. Um, when you've got the navigation link to the level below and the arrow is showing in the way that you don't want it to to be there, is that navigation um, view, what's that hanging off of? That's hanging off of the um, the button. Is that right? Uh, so you've, you've got a button with, with some text or something. So I've got a, a view, which I've called like list cell for example yeah and then you know if you've got five items you'll have five list cells that are in the uh, in the list and then the navigation uh, link is wrapped around the list cell okay hmm and then you get the list cell appears as it should in that it's kind of got padding top bottom left and right and then you get this arrow that appears in the padding on the right. 
Yeah. And it just looks totally weird. So I might just have to let go of that whole kind of design thing that I'm going for and just go sort of like, you know what, there's going to be no padding. It's not going to look like it's floating on a background. It's just going to be spans left to right and just got to live with it. It's this sort of thing, like, I guess, that is sending you back to UI kit. And then you start thinking, why why are you using Swift UI? Because the obvious answer is, well, I want to make a Mac app. Well, that's fine, but the way I need to build a Mac app, the way I'm going to do it anyway probably is via Catalyst. Yeah. Because I need to drop down to UI kit for a lot of rich text editing, and I don't want to have to rebuild all that in App Kit if I do a native target for the Mac in Swift UI. Therefore, it's all going to be sort of ending up on the Mac via UI Kit anyway. Yep. So, do I just use UI Kit anyway and come back to Swift UI in a few years? I, I don't know. Mm. I genuinely don't know the answer. Um, there's a few other areas I think in my UI that could potentially give me a headache. So, I want to try and explore those a little bit tomorrow and Tuesday and just see if they are going to be the genuine headaches I anticipate them being and then make a decision, I guess, midweek before you're too far down yeah and there's still the whole like just silly things like auto focusing on a text field that is still isn't resolved for me yet at the moment i've just got to live with the fact that you have to do an extra tap on the text field to bring up the keyboard right i mean i wrote a blog post about it basically saying it's doing this and i've got no idea why and somehow i ended up in ios dev weekly which i'm really grateful for the link and everything but it's um... nobody else has got that problem and has solved it i guess uh someone's written to me on twitter um, saying and I've messaged back asking a question so I'm still waiting to hear back on that but yeah, it's just one of those things you're scrolling through I always read iOS Dev Weekly I love it and I was like oh great someone else had the same problem I click through and it's me I'm like oh <laughs> damn it <laughs> it's cool that I'm featured in iOS Dev Weekly I've never been featured in there before how cool is that but then at the same time it's like oh I thought I was going to get an answer and actually it's just me <laughs> waving my hands in the air being like I don't know what the problem is <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm, I'm wondering with that one whether you do just drop to to UI kit and wrap something that then becomes aware of when it can um, can take first responder. What while maintaining the rest of it in Swift UI? Yeah, yeah, because it's um, I'm doing the whole show a sheet in Swift UI. Yeah, and then that's where the problem starts when you try and make it the text field, the UI kit text field, take first responder. Right, because it will crash your app if you tell it to before. Uh, you have to do like a check on the window so like the view dot window isn't nil oh because it's getting constructed before it's actually attached to a view yeah yeah so if you call first responder it'll crash your app and i can't i can't make it either focus or not crash at the moment yeah um hence my blog post waving my hands in the air being like what's going on (laughs) (laughs) as i said in the post do i um do I just put this to one side and be like, well, this is obviously going to be fixed. So I'll just wait for Apple to fix it and move on to all the other elements in the project. Yeah. And because it's probably going to take me a long time to build this. I mean, let's be honest, I don't have a lot of time. This is, this is being done when kids are napping and or in bed at night. So it's not getting vast amounts of time in any case. So by the time I'm anywhere near ready, I mean, we'll probably be on Swift UI version five. <laughs> well, maybe not five, but <laughs> You know, WWDC, yeah, dub dub will roll around, and a lot of this could be solved for me. But then that's taking a bit of a gamble. Yeah. Oh, don't worry, Apple will fix this. So I guess, guess with all of this, I would sort of say, well, um, are you enjoying the learning process? You know, despite some of these edges, because if you are, then okay. So that's 
that's a good thing and that's a positive in, in all of this so to that end i would sort of say well follow the thing that you're enjoying doing in that respect and with these edges i would expect them to eventually be be fixed or have workarounds for them that are useful in one way or another i don't want to sort of sound too much like i've drank the swift ui kool-aid but there is an element of that for me in, a, in that i do really enjoy using it myself and i can kind of forgive a lot of these edges at the moment because i do feel like it's going to come good and there's this sort of value in well okay i'm building up this base knowledge um and i'm getting the use out of of you know the bits that do work with swift ui as well yeah and and so to kind of go all the way back to UI kit for for the projects that I've been using SwiftUI on would sort of feel like, well, you know, I'm losing all of that. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, in answer to sort of the question you, you posed, you know, do I, do I go to UI kit and get it done or do I stay in SwiftUI and kind of trust that stuff's going to get fixed? I think if you can wait and you're enjoying the learning process, you know, if you can wait to release the app, I guess is what I'm saying, yeah. and you're enjoying the learning process, then lean into SwiftUI. But there's a couple of things in, in the problems that you've had. I feel like the, the text field one is is going to be solvable in one way or another. You know, I know you've, you've kind of gone several rounds with it already, but that does feel <laughs> like one that's going to get solved. <laughs> yeah. And with the uh, the navigation one there's an element of what you're trying to do is sort of breaking part of the um part of the language that swift ui is laying out in a sense of when you've got a list of stuff and there's detail further down in that list um those indicators are are managed for you to indicate that there's that detail so i wonder if maybe there's an element of kind of just leaning into some of that as part of the design yeah maybe not try and sort of do my own thing so much and trust in the standards yeah and that for me feels a little bit more like my my ios developers impression of of AppKit and mac os in a sense of where you've got um some of the system widgets and the ways of doing things and that sort of stuff you just don't customize you just do it as it is you know nobody tries to build um a a custom menu for example you know, menu menu is just it. It looks the same for every single app, and you don't try and put different colours or anything in there. It's just the, the the list of things, and then you've got again an, an indicator to go down a level in a menu. Yeah. Um, so maybe maybe lean into it in that sort of sense. I wonder if I could do some of it in a scroll view and not a list. If it's a short list, then yeah. But I, yeah, I would absolutely. lose some of the listy stuff in that, you know, like reordering and things like that, I would presume. Mm. So some of the stuff you get for free with a list, maybe I would be... Yeah, you would. Free, yeah. Yeah. Mm. And I'm wondering how the navigation link logic currently kind of works in a sense of... It must be doing a, a, a case of if I'm a navigation link inside of a inside of a list then i'm going to show that indicator or if i may because it boils down to becoming a ui table view cell after a point each item yeah um in in the list and so i wonder when that that's constructed does it is there a check that's done as well for um, a navigation link 
and at that point is the um, accessory item being set on the on the cell. It's probably how it's working. And in that case, does it matter then where where you put that navigation link inside of the uh, the item in the list? You know how far down the stack it is. Um, it might not matter uh, because that that check might just check for anything inside of the stack. I feel like I should persevere. Um, I, I kind of feel like there's an opportunity here for me to explore something new, to learn something, and to also sounds a bit corny but kind of give back like writing these articles as i go sort of documenting things that i found hard that could maybe help someone else i kind of like the idea of that yeah um you kind of maybe like swift ui could be my my thing you know that i talk about online a lot and now it feels like a good time to be getting into it because it's, it's so new and there's so much change and evolution and i mean i find it fascinating really the whole the whole process of learning it so i'm that's why i'm reluctant to go to ui kit um, and there's also some of the benefits of, of Swift UI as well, like the way that you know, like table views can just like automatically refresh when new data is chucked at them. And there's like really loads of awesome things that you get for free as yep. a dev. So part of me doesn't want to throw it out for those things. Uh, and also, I just kind of like the challenge, but I don't know whether I'm indulging myself at the expense of of the app. Yeah, that's my that's my worry. So I'm gonna, I just need to just keep an eye on that basically <laughs> kind of relying on you as well to sense check me at various points and <laughs> yeah give me a stern talking to if needs be the thing i've seen uh, going on sort of outside in is that you've been constructing the ui quite quickly and stuff seems to be sort of coming together quite well you know despite these edges it comes uh, together so quick like the first 90 percent is done in no time and you're like wow this is so good and then it's like that last 10 percent takes yeah way longer than the first 90 percent did and at the moment i feel like that last 10 percent remains unresolved in a lot of instances yeah so again it's the argument or do i just you know accept that for now this isn't going to be quite right in my prototypes and we'll just see what happens as time goes on as this evolves because surely it can't stay like this forever well my vote is on persevering leaning in and uh you know, kind of trusting that some of these edges are going to come good in time because I think they have to, to for Swift UI to be, you know, the default. Okay, so this week there was a bit of news from Apple that now developers will soon be able to um, bundle Mac apps so you could make one purchase as a user and get an iOS app and a Mac app out of it. I'd almost forgotten that you couldn't do this because it almost seems like such an obvious thing that you would want to do. Um, yeah. I'd, I've kind of lost touch with it a little bit and it was kind of a surprise to me that a, you couldn't do it, but also, Oh cool. We can now do it. <laughs> so it, I'm obviously really pleased. I think, yeah, a bit, a bit of a no brainer from, from my point of view. I don't know if you've got any specific opening thoughts on it, but yeah, this is, this is good stuff. Yeah. I don't know. Like as a, as a customer, that's great. As a user, that's great. Um, you know, that sort of means like all my my favourite apps that do this um, and have something sensible sort of on the Mac um, will then be there. That's great. But then as a developer, there's this other bit of me that was sort of thinking, well, actually, if I do a Mac app right now, and I was thinking about this for, um, for GoVJ specifically, um, 
because there would would likely be a bunch of extra stuff that I would need to do for that Mac app, I was probably going to charge separately for it. Um, so I kind of feel a bit like, oh, okay, I, I wasn't planning on that. But you don't have to bundle it? No. So I no, guess you the, could the, still proceed as you were planning to? I could do. And and so this is good in the sense of the choice is there for either way. I think the thing that I'm sort of wary of is if this sort of becomes kind of the the default, the sort of expected thing, um, then, you know, that, that would then sort of mean that I, I run the risk of um, of not meeting those expectations and then getting a bunch of people kind of going, why do I have to, to buy this twice? And that sort of question. Uh, which which I sort of feel a little bit uh, um, exposed to at the moment after my freemium experiment where where people have been asking me why they need to buy the in-app purchase when they've bought the app already as a paid user. I sort of feel like I could end up with a load of those conversations again. Yeah. Um, Uh, I guess if you're doing a subscription, this doesn't really matter anyway because I guess... On Mac OS or iOS, the app would be free to download in the first instance, and then you would your subscription would then just unlock functionality. But can subscriptions yeah. before before this um, this change could subscriptions span OSs? I'm not sure. No, I'm not sure. No, I, I, I don't know the answer to that. And and I'm wondering, like, is there a sense of just okay? If you understand this is the lay of the land, could you attack this slightly differently and sort of think, well, okay, you've got. Um, You've got all this this base functionality that is, you know, the default on both platforms, and then if there are specific extra sets of, of features, I'm imagining a scenario where where maybe the Mac app has a bunch of pro features that just can't really happen uh, back on iOS. Then could you put those features behind an in-app purchase, for example, and then charge accordingly for for the use of those features? Um, that that might work for some types of app, and then you know it it, it just doesn't matter. You've you've charged at the point where people are using that extra thing. You see, I, I've been kind of sort of what I say campaigning, complaining mostly on here <laughs> on Twitter <laughs> for like real free trials and upgrade pricing. And when I read this, I wondered, well, could that be one small step towards that? So I'm just thinking if this paves the way for potentially more expensive purchases via the App Store, because now you're getting the Mac involved, maybe it is going to require higher prices because Mac software is generally a bit higher because obviously, you know, with the pro apps, would that then maybe force Apple's hand is the wrong word phrase to use, but I'll use it anyway. Maybe it would force Apple's hand to be like, actually, we need to offer free trials for paid apps. Yeah, I um, just don't know. And if they do that, we're one step away from upgrade pricing, maybe. I, th- I feel like that's just, that's what the App yeah. Store needs. I'm just feeling really kind of fed up of subscriptions, in a way. So I'm trying to think of what Apple's got that would kind of let them see this side of stuff. And and I think that the example that comes to mind is um, Final Cut. Okay, so if you think about Final Cut as a proposition... That's a paid upfront app. Yep, that is a you put down whatever it is now, two or three hundred dollars, something like that. Yep. Yeah, 
and with that they do a, a free trial as well right there's a version that you can download and um, and test and so I guess I wonder like what is the version what is the the take on that that would um, that would support this world you know if Apple if Apple were putting out um, a version of Final Cut that also worked on the iPad would they still just charge that much for it and have both of them there under the same bundle um, you wouldn't be able to test it on on the iPad in the same way you know so at that point there's a there's a position there where would they would they want to do something else in that scenario so people could um, could get a good look at it on the iPad yeah um, what would that look like and I just don't know I mean like a, a free trial is a nice and easy way to sort of figure that one out right you just go okay let's let's test this see if you like it and then you know when you come back a week later or whatever and you want to use it and it's expired you're like, okay you know what the deal is you've got to either pay up or or not um but i wonder what they would do in that scenario like if if we had a um an app of that size on both platforms at, at that sort of you know quite elevated price point um, yeah would, would would they want a free trial themselves at that point? Would that drive them there? Or would they do something else? You know, I, is this a scenario where you would actually start subscribing to, to Final Cut and it becomes much more like the um, the Adobe model? Yeah, for example. Yeah. Well, I guess if they announce they're doing subscriptions to Final Cut, you've got your answer, haven't you? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I would say that's kind of case closed on ever expecting anything like this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like it would give a bit of value back to apps if they could have free trials, because at the minute, it's like if you put something up for three or four pounds, that's considered expensive by a lot of people on the App Store. Um, And I know you could say, well, people spend exactly the same amount on a silly cup of coffee, but they won't spend that same amount of money on an app because they believe, a lot of people believe apps aren't, really worth anything because just that free is the expectation but yep. I, just, I just really 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 feel that if you see an app for 3.99 but there's a try button next to it you could be like you know what i'll try it and if after a week two weeks 28 days whatever you don't like it fine get rid of it but if you do like it hopefully by that point that app has proven to you that it is worth the 3.99 and we're not talking big bucks here are we? it's like 3.99 it's like a cup of coffee, and this app should hopefully, within a week or two or whatever, should have easily proven to you that it's worth three ninety nine. And if it hasn't, then it's not worth the three ninety nine, and you just simply don't pay for it. Yeah. And it's just like, why? Why don't we have that? I just don't understand it. And again, upgrade pricing—it's like with subscriptions, you're you're getting new features by essentially you're subscribing to new features, right? Yeah, that's kind of you're not subscribed to content like you do in Netflix or Amazon Prime or anything like that. Uh, you're, you're, depending on the type of app, sure. it can be be content, but not in that sense. No, but in a lot of cases, you're subscribing to almost paying the developer to keep making features. And I just feel like a, a much nicer proposition for the customer and the developer. I feel like on this show we're at risk of just taking the, the developer's point of view, but I really feel in this instance it benefits the customer as well 
So let's say I, I release um, this app I'm working on, version one, paid up front with a free trial. People can have a play. Yeah, that's great. I'll give you five ninety nine for it, whatever. Then I go ahead and start working on version two features. I can then go ahead and build those features. I can then market those features and say, hey, look, I've built all these awesome features. If you already own the app, you can you only have to pay two ninety nine because you've already paid five ninety nine once. The users yep. can then go, Great, um, we like those features, they look good, I'll pay you two ninety nine. Or they can be like, you know what? I'm good. I'm sure they're nice features, but they're just not any use to me. I'll I'll just not pay you this time. Maybe wait for version three when they can make that assessment again, get all of version two's features and threes next time. Yep. Rather than being locked into this constant cycle of paying. Um, I just can't it amazes me that people do it in a way yeah like obviously I do it for a couple of apps but I'm I don't do it for many apps at all to be honest I think there's one possibly two apps I'm subscribed to and the fact that I can't remember that is not good either kind of shows what a bit of a dark pattern subscriptions can be sometimes so I Um, dislike them because of that that dark pattern um, and another element of this is that I don't feel like they're very good to administrate for families. Um, just in a sense of like, if there's an app that one of my kids wants that is dependent on a subscription, it would have to be a very, very good app that offered some very specific, you know, like, I don't know, uh, an art app or something for, for painting and drawing that, you know, my youngest two really loves drawing would get an awful lot lot out of yeah i might pay for a subscription in that circumstance um, but i would be I'm, I'm the type of personality though where with something like that because it's then out of my sight um and and it's not immediately able to you know just sort of kind of see that it's still there i mean you can go down into the settings you can find that you've got a subscription i know that that is there but you don't check it on a daily basis and that's the dark pattern yeah. I would actually set myself a reminder for when that subscription is coming up to say, okay, is he still using it? Cancel it if not. And I put those things in my calendar. That's my personality type. But I know that a lot of people don't and then these things automatically roll over and it just feels like a really yeah, underhanded way of taking money from people. Um, and and the, the family side of stuff is kind of double that because that's not my subscription it's theirs you know so it's just not front of my mind at all um once once it's there yeah i mean it obviously must work like people must subscribe to stuff because this is like a whole business model that exists that apple introduced that has stuck around um i don't really know anyone outside of like you and a couple of other people that actually have subscriptions i think about all of my family i mean they it's bad enough trying to get them to pay a little bit of extra for icloud for all their photos um <laughs> i mean you should have seen the look yep. on their faces when i said you have to pay extra for the storage that i mean it's like they, they've been robbed <laughs> so yeah you can forget subscribing for like changing your icon on a podcast player to them that'd be like why would i do that that's like no, <laughs> no way. Yeah, like, he's like getting blood out of a stone trying to get them to pay for cloud storage, which actually, you know, is worth paying for. But like f- premium features in an app, they're like, no, no, why would I do that? That's just that's just silly. Um, so it kind yeah. of surprises me that it works at all, but it obviously does. Um, 
I don't know. I just kind of think the transaction is so much clearer for both parties. It's like I make feet, you know, I make app with features. You pay me. I continue to upgrade app with features. If you like features, pay me for more features. If not, don't worry. It's fine. Keep the features you've already purchased, and they're yours. You don't like yeah. lose access to them the minute you stop paying or, or anything like that. Um, I no, don't know. And, and trying to impose that model yourself, like rolling it yourself with um, within app purchases, um, and doing receipt checking and stuff to check when somebody or what version somebody bought something on, that is a massive overhead. I mean, there there are ways of kind of trying to do this sort of stuff yourself. Um, and I've seen it done with a couple of apps. There's a file browser app that I use that um, it puts like uh, premium features that are then rolled um, gradually out. And if you're a, a pro user, then you get to use the um, the premium features kind of earlier before they drop down. There's this kind of intermediary state that it's got. I'm struggling to describe it properly, actually, but uh, and that's again you know part of the problem <laughs> but um that there are ways of kind of trying to hack around this with the tools that we've got but they're not good enough and they don't make natural sense i don't think anyway they don't make natural sense to um to the user and it really does need something from the from the platform and from apple to kind of do it properly you know you need something where like you go to use the app and a system a system alert comes up that is obvious what it is. You know, it's the same as any other app store kind of of alert. And it tells you that there's an upgradable version of the app for you that you can buy. You know, it puts that straight in front of the user and they can say no and then they can leave it alone. You know, and then maybe it's up to you as an app developer to sort of signpost that there's an upgrade available after that. But Apple could go a long way to sort of helping us in that scenario. And then it just started. I could see it would just start to make sense after that. You know, you've got the version that you you bought that keeps running for however long. Um, It's obvious to you that there is an upgrade available because you've been told. There's perhaps signposting inside of the app itself to tell you that's a thing as well. Um, And then, you know, that's there. You know, there's these other things that you could probably buy and, and get it to do. Um, and the user can then choose when they go to do that and they're not left with a, a broken version of the app because that's the other side you know when when, when things are behind um, and when, when features start to get put behind a, a pro upgrade and then new features are sort of added inside of there um, if, you're, if you're not careful if you're sort of adding in-app purchases for each of these things you need to make sure that none of the original features are put behind the new in-app purchase. It just becomes a mess. You know, I've been thinking about this stuff. I've been thinking about how can I sort of make this work um, for GoVJ. Are there ways of me doing this? And it, a lot of it boils down to it just feels like a mess. Yeah. Um, <sighs> yeah. I think what bothers me is that with, uh, with sign-ups, I've kind of got a, a business model laid out that with a subscription or rather it can only really make sense with a with a subscription um which means sitting here right now that's kind of my plan because there's no other option available um yeah 
for me to make something sustainable and that would work and offer good value on the free side and on the paid side um subscription is like the way to go but if there was like a paid upgrade and free trials that i could free trials would allow me to charge sort of decent ish money from the offset so between like maybe five and ten pounds um yeah. and hopefully with a free trial my app would prove that it is worth that and people would be like yeah i'll pay it or well, a good percentage of them would hopefully um and then like the whole idea of subscription is to give yourself recurring revenue right so that you've built something that's sustainable rather than a piece of abandonware that's maybe got a shelf life of two years max um again paid upgrades would solve that issue for me but without those i I think my only real choice is subscription and with a with a trial of that subscription yeah um but nevertheless it's still a, a subscription and yeah i'm just not very happy about that but I, it may be where I have to go. That's a cheery end, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll call that a wrap. If you've enjoyed today's show, it'd be great if you could leave us a review on iTunes or if you could leave us a recommendation in Overcast by hitting that star button. That will help us reach even more like-minded people. Um, also, we have our Slack channel. We'd love to invite you to join. Our hope is it can be a really great place for fellow developers to come and hang out. If you'd like to join, uh, just leave us a message on Twitter at WFR Podcast and we'll get you signed up. So, Dave, before we run off, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at DW Roboheads. That's Robohead spelled with a Z. And you can find my apps at Roboheads.com. Again, that's Robohead spelled with a Z. How about you, Dave? You can follow me online at davenot.co.uk or on Twitter, I'm at underscore davenot. 